Hey, it's Andy. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a great show for you today. Bruce Feldman, our buddy from The Athletic. You also know him from Fox Sports. We're going to be talking about Reggie Bush being welcomed back into the bosom of USC. He was disassociated because he was involved in a case of breaking NCAA rules, which, by the way, the rules he broke, not going to be against the rules anymore in 13 months. We talk about Reggie coming back to USC. We also talk about a great story that Bruce just put out on The Athletic about a seven-foot-tall, 300-pound offensive lineman who plays eight-man football in Kansas and is getting tons of scholarship offers from schools that have yet to see him in person. It is an absolutely fascinating story. Here's Bruce. Welcome to a Friday edition of the Andy Staples Show. It's the, the welcome back edition. We're welcoming back Bruce Feldman, also of The Athletic, also of the Audible podcast with, with the great Stuart Mandel. And USC is welcoming back Reggie Bush. So everybody's being welcomed back, Bruce. So welcome back. Thank you. And I'll thank you on behalf of Stu for referring to him as great. I don't know if he's ever had that attached to his name, but... He's the one who helped hire both of us, <laughs> so great he is. That's exactly right. Exactly right. I, I was thinking about this because it was either you or Stuart who was going to get bugged today because th- there's a lot of 10th anniversaries going around, and and one of those is, is Reggie Bush. The other one is there were a lot of big moves in realignment this week 10 years ago, and I remember all this because my wife's birthday is this week, and I remember being very much in the doghouse because I had to work a lot during her birthday, you know, right around the birthday. Cause I think the Reggie Bush decision may have come down on her birthday. And I think Nebraska actually moved to the big 10 on her birthday. So it was a, it was an eventful week. I, you know, this, this doesn't sync up probably with that timing, but I, my, whenever I hear realignment in those kinds of terms of anniversaries my one strongest memory is i'm on a plane that is about to take off and this is at the time when you had to shut down your phones like there was you know, remember that wasn't that long ago that's right it may interfere with the plane yeah and so i'm you know, i'm being told to shut down and the last tweet i saw was from our buddy spencer hall and it was a it was either a screenshot or something of the Joe Shad versus Chip Brown dueling Chip reports. Brown, and it was oh like my. Thunderdome where two men enter, one man leave. Um, and we know how that worked out. But uh, that's what I remembered. You know, when I think of realignment, that's the first thing that pops into my head was being on that plane, seeing Spencer's tweet. And I'm like, well, I got to shut down. And I don't know. I too was on a plane that day to Austin because they were going to have a, a, congressional hearing essentially in the state of texas a a legislative hearing in the state of texas i guess not congressional but uh their legislature was going to meet about realignment and basically baylor and tcu and their affiliated politicians had had you know started this thing to keep the big 12 from breaking up so uh, i was ready to cover that i was ready for some good old-fashioned infighting i was ready for delos dodds testifying and then I land and the Big 12 is going to stay together. And here we are. 
That's exactly right. So Reggie Bush is welcome back at USC. Uh, they released a nice video, which was it, it basically looked like they were trying to squeeze in everything Reggie Bush did between when they disassociated him and now. And, you know, it, it's amazing to me because we're sitting here talking about this and the thing Reggie Bush got in trouble for and the thing USC got in trouble for isn't even going to be against the rules this time next year. No, the one part that I think is is the messiest for the NCA is the third party component of this. And so about a month ago, I did this story after the NIL stuff started to come through the pipeline. And I reached out to a few people who were, I felt like were relevant voices on this. And Reggie got back to me a couple of days after Jeremy Bloom did. And he goes, hey, I'd love to talk to you about this. And that's kicked off about a week-long dis- series of discussions to, till we got to the point of the story that The Athletic ran. And at, at different points, whether he commented on how NIL is in his viewpoint, uh, his feeling on the NCA, which he had very strong feelings, or all the stuff that spewed out of the Lloyd Lake mess, um, it was kind of fascinating to hear that because I had followed the story, I had reported on some of it, but to the depths of it uh, was pretty fascinating because, you know, it's not like Reggie, I think, knew the ins and outs of, it's not like he's reported on it or talked to people like you and I have about what the NCA is looking at. But, you know, early on, he had told me, this is what I think I would have, you know, made. And then I talked to the people from Navigate Research who are, as much experts as you're going to probably find on this subject matter about what they think the dollar value would have been back then, which is obviously pre-social media, pre-Twitter. Reggie Bush has 3 million Twitter followers. Well, he had, you know, that's a, something that he and people who have big followings can leverage. That wasn't there before. And they still said he would have made 2 to $3 million based on it, which was in line with what he thought. He was the biggest star in the sport, playing for the best team in the sport in the second largest media market in the country. I mean, it, it, yeah, it makes sense that he would have. What, what's interesting to me is the stuff that happened, which is, so Lloyd Lake and Michael Michaels were the, the two guys that were trying to be marketing agents for Reggie Bush. I guess they wanted to be his, his agent agent and, and thought that by giving in this stuff that that's what they would become. They would probably get aced out of this process if this – were were okay back then because what happened in the real in, in, in when it happened is Reggie went with a real agent ultimately and these guys got mad and they they dropped the dime on him Reggie would have gone with a real agent the first time around had it been okay because the real agents are going to be in on this yeah and the, the part that I think is is fascinating to this is and we don't know this part because of the quote-unquote guardrails yet but as they explained them, as Navigate talked about the money opportunities and get granted, you know, you want to talk about Trevor Lawrence, you want to talk about Joe Burrow, you want to talk about whoever was a star last year or whatever. As great as they, those players were, they were not in a market anywhere near as big as Los Angeles, right? And so if you're talking as, as the, the, as they explained it to me, as you're talking about uh, shoe deals, beverage deals, supplement deals right out of the top. But then all of a sudden it's like, and this is the part where it gets murky is if you are some big USC person or even not, let's say you're just somebody with a lot of money 
and you want Reggie Bush to come to your kid's birthday party because you want to impress the other parents on, on, in your town or in your, on your block, what is that worth? I mean, if you have so much money, are you, is it 50 grand? Is it 100 grand? Well, I actually think there's a market for that. Like you, you could find out what the market for that is. Like what's it cost to get, not Kim Kardashian, but one of the you know, lesser Kardashian sisters to come to your birthday party? Like I, that, they have a rate for that. So you could actually figure it well, out. If you think about it, Andy, look at it this way. You know, we know plenty of people, you know, who could do speaking engagements and they make 25 grand. I mean, God forbid, you and I have probably done the Arkansas Touchdown Club and made a, made a little bit of money to, to you know, thanks Bo Mattingly or whatever. So now you're talking about somebody who is a... That, who, that's, that's the good one right there at Northwest Arkansas Touchdown Club. Yeah, there's, ma- oh, there's been many people who sat down and eaten some, some average, <laughs> average chicken lunch and had, some, had good you know, Q&A stuff or whatever and were treated very well. Now you multiply that times, I don't know, times 50. I mean, we're talking about somebody who's a hot commodity, not either a media person or a former coach who's out of a job uh, in a big market where they are the hottest thing in it. And that's what Reggie Bush was. I mean, that's where, you know, you do 10 of those. Is that half a million dollars? Is it a million dollars to add on to everything else we're talking about? So he had, he had some, you know, like certainly awareness of that. But when we, when we talked about, and this wasn't in the first conversation, it was probably like the fifth or sixth conversation as you started going through um, different things that had been alleged about either he or his family or that had come up. And he said, honestly, I, he goes, I don't even know some of the things that some, that, that people have thrown out. It's not like I, I can sit back there 15 years ago and go, yeah, I remember this. And somebody's going to go, yeah, but what about that? And he said, there's a lot of things that people had said, he goes, maybe it was somebody close to me that was involved in that I didn't know. And his takeaway, and this was a point that there was a little bit of a a controversy of probably two weeks after our story, he had done a Q and a with playboy.com and they had asked him a question, and it he took it into basically the NIL discussion. That's not what the question was. But one of the things he talked about was and how he has spoken to CeeDee Lamb and some other college stars now who are headed off to the NFL about the things you really need to understand when you become a big star. And he goes, he thinks it's stuff that your compliance people or some other people, they can talk to you about, but they can't really get at the way unless you've lived it. And so some of those things about, he said, you know, you can tell me about, hey, stay away from boosters, stay away from this person. All right, I got it. I know I can spot who those people are. But it's the people he said, whenever he's had something, you know, go sideways, it's usually been because it's somebody very close to him. And that's, that's become an issue. Yeah, it, it is. And the thing is, people come out of the woodwork when you're as famous as, as Reggie Bush got that quickly. What's interesting about the Bush thing is it was not what the average college football fan thinks of when they think of the, the scandals. And, and obviously the NCAA did try to pin this on USC and went to great lengths to, to link up Todd McNair, the running backs coach, with Lloyd Lloyd Lake and Michael Michaels, and you had the the infamous photo with the guy who played Big Worm uh, that, that they w- used as oh, proof. Phase on love, phase on love. That's right. That proof that this was that this was all orchestrated by by Todd McNair, which 
was dubious at best, and and then they used phone records that they accidentally read the wrong year off of, and so I don't like I don't I never looked at this as a USC did this situation. I looked at it as here's these guys they're paying Reggie Bush they want to they want to get in with him. That's actually what this NIL stuff is going to be if the quote-unquote guardrails exist, which I don't think you can actually enforce that stuff. But this wasn't a case where USC bought Reggie Bush. This is not school buys player or booster buys player. This is player gets good and people come around trying to pay him, which is a very common thing. Happens more often than people realize. But that's the sort of thing that this is actually sort of intended to do. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the point that I think is lost, where I think a lot of people have tied it to saying, all right, Pete Carroll, they were winning, they're cheating, they have to be cheating, and they, the NCAA really kind of got in this game a twister to, to stretch it to, to Todd McNair to, to link him to that when it's like, hey, if anything, um, I'm not sure if this is, a, this is really benefiting USC in, in that way. It's not like... In this case, USC was, hey, we're going to get your family jobs or something else, or we're going to have a booster come out of their pocket. This wasn't anything like that. And I think that's the part that the NCAA, and then look, some of this, I suspect, also had to do with Mike Garrett, the AD, was not cooperating at all. And so... You know, this was kind of the middle finger back, I think, to them and that committee on fractions, um, which looks rather dubious right now. Made a made try Paul, to make a Paul D was the Paul chair. Paul D, Missy well, Convoy, was, Missy Convoy, yeah. who was who's who's high up at Notre Dame. By the way, it's like okay, this is obviously your arch rival. So that that smells funny. On top of that, that those people were part of the process of that committee on fractions. Yeah, it, it was it's such a strange thing to talk about now because, and, and I saw Mike Mike Vaughn mentioned that, you know Reggie knows what he did and and you know, I was like, why do you have to even say that? If you're you're the AD at USC, just welcome the man back. It's not going to be against the rules in a year, so don't even say that. And also, I think you know it, maybe it's a misreading of the room by him because USC fans are really mad at the NCA still. They're not mad at Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush didn't do anything wrong in their in their eyes. And I don't I don't think if you ask most people, you know, should you take three hundred grand if somebody wants to give it to you? Sure. It's not for anything illegal, right? It's not for drugs. It's not for for hurting someone. It's just for being good at football. Okay, that that sounds good to me. Now in uh, now Reggie Bush did, and again, this was I don't know how many conversations into this because we kind of started to go through, hey, you haven't really spoke, why haven't you spoken on any of this kind of thing, which he was, he, uh, you know, kind of explained in the story why he was, why he's been reluctant to even wade into some of this. But one of the things he did say is, look, I know there were things I messed up. Uh, but that's the part where he said, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to go do like a line item check by check on this because, and that's something where you can't win on it. People are going to go, yeah, you talk, you explain this, but what about that? Well, I, um, I'll tell you where you, I say, I, I think USC messed up and here's where USC messed up because they knew this was all percolating. They didn't, Mike Garrett and that group knew it's all percolating. 
All they had to do is come up with 300 grand and pay it to Lloyd Lake under the table. And none of this ever happens. Like, they don't go to Jason Cole and Charles Robinson at Yahoo and say, hey, we gave Reggie Bush some money. That doesn't happen. Well, Andy, and I go back to the Nevin Shapiro, again, here, Paul D is the link to this segue. Go back to the Nevin Shapiro case. And whenever somebody, and I'm sure this you've heard this dozens of times as a college football reporter, as I have, why don't more people get caught when things are dirty? And the thing that I come back to is because it really takes somebody to be aggrieved. Nevin Shapiro is the rare booster because usually boosters are so devoted to the school either they went to or they have relationships with or whatever that they will do anything to protect not soiling that university. Nevin Shapiro had a big ax to grind and that's how that, that blew up. In the case of this or in the case of Albert Means. I was going to say, Albert Means, it was, a, it was a high school, there were two high school football coaches that had agreed to sell him, essentially, and one of them didn't give the other one the money, and the one who didn't get the money went to Gary Parrish at the Memphis Commercial Appeal. And that's how those stories, sometimes rare, get out, because somebody was pissed off, and that's, and then again, here's exactly what you happened. Because I remember talking to some NFL reporters and they talked about how that story, this Lloyd Lake uh, story with Reggie Bush, blew up at the NFL Combine um, because there were a lot of reporters around that I don't know exactly the, you know, the, 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 what was the direct impetus, but that's how it's, it kind of got traction there and then it, then it moved. And, and that's what happens sometimes in the agent world. And so... You know, here we are 10 years later, and I, I do think, you know, credit to the new leadership, whether it's Carol Fultz, who's the president, or certainly Mike Bone, who's the new AD and his team. I know that there was a bunch of Zoom calls, and I know um, his old, Reggie's old quarterback, Matt Leiner, had a big role in helping, helping uh, bridge this to get to where they are. And I think there's a lot of people at USC who feel like, okay, this should have been done a long time ago. But let's move forward now. I, and it literally ironic. couldn't be done until Wednesday, according to the, the Committee on Infractions decision, though. That's, that's why it happened when it did. Yeah, and that's why O.J. Mayo, by the way, has also been cleared, because it's the 10-year window. And so I think, um, I, I think this, is, this is something that didn't surprise anybody that it was expiring, but it was something that they had to do. And I think if... If we weren't in the time we are now with a pandemic and with a lot of social issues that have come really to the fore in the last couple of weeks, I think USC, if it was a normal spring, would have probably had more of a, I don't know about a celebration, but a more of a presentation about this when they rolled it out of beyond just a, a email to say it. Um, but I would imagine at some point down the road when things settle down a little bit they probably will have something like that yeah i want to have him come bursting out of a like a drum like in the old bob hope all american specials and he's wearing a wearing the jersey or wearing a you know a nice cardigan with the with the varsity letter on it and he just bursts out and i'm back that would have been perfect yeah, well, I think maybe you just uh, gave the big noon uh, for season preview uh, an idea. You think Urban will do it? You think Urban will run out of the drum too? No, I, you know what? Like when that our crew did that Friday night game where Urban was going to be there and Reggie was back, and oh, the Utah game. Yeah, and it was just and it was a great game. And that was the game that Matt Fink came off the bench because Slovis got a concussion like right out of in the first play, but. 
Um, you know, the urban factor on that only added to it, you know, is like, I think, I, I don't know. I think that's, that's one that, that a lot of people were looking at, Hey, urban's going to be in the stadium too, as much as Reggie's back. And so I think that's something they'll probably be a little more sensitive to. Are you insinuating that USC fans might want a different coach than the one they have now, Bruce? I think that's a different podcast. I think that is a different podcast, but they're recruiting well right now and, and it's been a good off right. season. So, you know, maybe, maybe, and I saw somebody tweet this at me after the story came out about Reggie, the curse has been lifted. That's what some USC fans think. We'll see. Wow. So they think it was a curse. I think this was part of a 10 year curse. It was like, whatever. <laughs> it whatever it wasn't Pete Carroll leaving and then trying in vain to recreate the Pete Carroll era, even though just because someone worked with him doesn't mean he can, they can do what he did. It's not that it's just something else. Just a curse. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if the we'll see what happens when they play Alabama out of the gate. If if they beat them, then maybe uh, maybe you will be a believer, and maybe I will be a believer. I guarantee you, if they beat Alabama and they go out, open up. Oh, I will. If if they beat Alabama, I will. I will say it was a curse. I will believe it was a curse. And then every other fan base who thinks they're in some way cursed, I'm looking at you, South Carolina fans, because you've always claimed you are. Uh, Whatever ritual you need to perform. I'll help you because I will, I will believe completely in curses at that, at that point. Fair enough. All right. I want to talk to you about this story that, that you have on Thursday. This is fascinating. I, I just, I love these stories where you find a recruit that is getting hot on the recruiting trail. I did, I did one of these a couple of years ago on Daniel Fa'alele, who's the six, nine, 400 pound offensive lineman for Australia, uh, for, or from Australia, when I wrote the story, he'd not even played a game of American football yet. He's now a starter at Minnesota. But this is this is even better, I think. Seven feet, 300 pounds, eight-man football player. He's a center. Is it Harlan Obioha? Obioha. Uh, Texas A&M fans may recognize that name. I don't think he's related to Julian Obioha. At least neither Harlan nor his mom think so. But but his dad his dad played for West Texas A and M in he basketball. Did, and right? now his dad lives in London. His dad's originally from Nigeria. Is seven one. Harlan's mom is six feet. She's a former volleyball college volleyball player. He is projected to grow to be seven two. So, and you set it up perfectly. The one thing that is the wild card in all this of how crazy this story gets because the the seven feet three hundred pounds playing eight man football is pretty rare. In a, from a town of, Kansas. Yeah, from a town of 1,200. The part that, that makes it so unique is the fact that nobody has been able to see him in person. None of these college coaches who've offered him, right? So the only people who have seen him in person are the coaches from Garden City Community College. And they offered him, and, they, and their coaches, I'm told, said, you know what? We think he's a real talent. We think he, you're going to get a lot more traffic, and there's going to be a lot more – there's going to be bigger schools who are going to come, but if they don't come, just know he has a, he has a place with us. We'd love to have him. And then Iowa state saw his film because they had gone through like a filter and seen his two minute film where this guy who was a head and maybe a head and shoulders pads bigger than everybody else on the field. Uh, it's a two minute clip of him playing center and nose tackle. Um, I'm watching it right now. You can hear the music cause I can't seem to turn it down. Yeah. And so there is that. 
So he got Iowa State. He got a bunch of Mac schools. He got he got uh, Arizona. He got Indiana. I started reaching out to just coaches who had looked at him and some who hadn't. Uh, I think on Monday I had one coach on the phone. I said, I want you to – and this is a coach far away from, from Kansas. I said, I want you to watch this kid and just tell me what you think. And we're on the phone. And he's kind of going through the evaluation. Um, now, academically, like an hour later, I got a call back saying, yeah, academically, I don't think we would, would take Harlan because I guess they had already looked at him. Um, but then I talked to another coach who was a power five uh, offensive line coach who goes, I've never seen this kid before. I'm going to start following him and was very intrigued by him. Our story went up at 6 a.m. Eastern. Like an hour and a half later, Ole Miss offered it. And I suspect Ole Miss will not be the last Power Five to offer him this week. I'm watching him, and he's he is very fluid for a seven foot guy. Because you worry with it with a lineman that tall, can they get low enough to have decent pad level? Now, the level of competition doesn't tell you anything. He's just smashing these poor kids, but. You know, you you see the frame and you see the way he moves, and you think, okay, you might be able to work with this. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, he's oh, I'm watching his pick six right now. Holy cow! That's the thing that jumped out at a couple of guys. Even one of the guys who was the most skeptical about Harlan because he was like, you know, I don't even know. And this is a coach who's who's had a bunch of eight and nine man football players they recruited. He goes, we found you can't really judge them off of film. It has to be off of what you've seen them do in camp just because the competition is so is usually so bad. And he said that usually the str- strength and conditioning levels that some of these kids come from, they're so raw that it's, it's just a real reach. Now, again, because we're in a pandemic, nobody is able to see him in person. And also, he was told me he was planning on going to K-State camp. Well, all those camps are gone, so he can't even go do that. One of the coaches I talked to who was intrigued by him said, you know, we almost always wait to see somebody in person before we offer. He goes, with this kid, we wouldn't be able to see him till December. And by then, we wouldn't be able to even get in on his recruitment. The other wild piece of this is Tabitha, his mother, the former college volleyball player, said, I know basketball is his first true love. That's what he really loves. And she told me these stories about him playing till midnight when he's outside shooting baskets when he's in second grade and did that all through grade school. Um, all these things she said. So I said, well, if he gets a, like, what's the time frame here? And she goes, hopefully he can wait till the end of this high school basketball season. I'm like, football coaches aren't going to wait till the end of high school basketball yeah. season. It's like the but, calendar doesn't work that but, way. But here's the, here's the thing. He's a mobile fluid seven footer. And I feel like 10 years ago, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. He would be playing basketball. He would be going to a, a big time university and, would probably have a future in professional basketball, whether it was the NBA or overseas, because he's seven feet tall and can move. But now you have to be seven feet tall and can shoot. Like the basketball has changed so that this guy isn't guaranteed a future in basketball where he would have been 10 years ago. The one thing I would, I would say to that, Andy, is watch his basketball film. Like I am shocked that I, I'm, not more, I'm not as surprised – that his recruiting stock has blown up. I'm more shocked that he has no basketball offers. If you watch yeah, that, him, that is he weird. really he's like a good passer. His his high school coach said he's got really good hands. He's obviously big. Um, you know, I've you've seen plenty of guys who are on bench. You were on the bench at like 
some mid-major. I'm like, why would they not offer this kid um, just to get in the boat with him kind of thing yeah. for basketball? Well, the the pick six in the in the highlight film for football is amazing, though, because it, it shows you his instincts. He, he reads the screen. Yeah, he reads the screen. He fa- drops back. Yeah. Again, this is a kid who has not been playing football very long. He only went out in sophomore year of high school because he asked his basketball coach, do you think this would help me get in better shape for basketball? And they said yes. And his mom was like, you know, he's struggling to get into stances, to get comfortable. And his mom's like, I hope he doesn't get hurt doing this. And he wasn't that good his first year. But then last year, he became pretty good. And now people are just looking at the way he moves. And again, these are not like, I mean, he's got a bunch of power five offers now. I mean, he's really blowing up. So this is really different from that story I was talking about with Daniel Falalele, because Daniel was from Australia, had not played American football, but he was at IMG Academy. They had identified him at a camp or some a, a college coach that identified him at a camp and then they'd gotten connected with IMG Academy. He came over and he'd been practicing with them. So he'd been practicing against D1 talent. And to your point, like one of the days I was there, this is when Tosh Lapoy was working in Alabama. I watched Tosh Lapoy spend 45 minutes five feet away from Daniel Falalele just, you know, recording everything he did. And, you know, now Alabama has an offensive lineman who was one of his teammates that they ended up taking in that class. So he was he was looking at him too. But that was that was a case where you wanted to have as much evaluation as you could. You wanted to see him in person. You wanted to see how he moved. And you could see him against that level of competition. With a guy playing eight-man football in the middle of nowhere, Kansas – you're never going to see that. No. Also, Andy, I said, uh, Harlan, what's what's the nearest big city? And he kind of laughed and he's got a good sense of humor. He's kind of, you know, he's a funny kid. And he said, this depends. What do you think is a, what do you think is a big city? I said, okay, <laughs> uh, Kansas City, Topeka. He goes, okay, we are four hours away from Wichita. I said, okay. What? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so they're they're in the middle of like they're kind of equidistant from Denver and Kansas City, as Mom said. Wow, and and a long way from either one. Yes, and a long way from either one. Uh, that's it, that is going to be a, a very interesting thing to watch, and I, I know you've been following this too, Bruce, because you know, sort of to the point you made about people are just getting in on this guy, offering him now because they might not get a chance to see him in person. We've seen. I don't know if there's a record because I don't know if anybody keeps a record of it, but at least what, what our friend Bud Elliott at, at 24-7 has said, you know, this is far and away more commitments than you have in most years because everybody wants to get in. Nobody knows if they're going to see another a person in person again. What's this fall going to be like in terms of decommitments and, and musical chairs for classes? Yeah, it's going to be crazy. I think you're going to have so many decommitments of kids who maybe just did placeholder commitments. And then what's it going to be like on top of all this, Andy, is a couple other things with what's the strategy going to be like from coaches with uh, saving spots if kids if for transfers that I think they're going to look at and say, well, if there's a one-time transfer exemption down the road, we want to be able to have flexibility there. Um, your musical chairs analogy is a great one. And I think that's that's what it's going to be um, because we're in such uncharted waters with all this. Yeah, it, it is going to be a, a strange year in recruiting 
Not the least of which a seven foot offensive lineman is probably going to sign somewhere. That, but that is, I don't, I don't know that that coaches will be willing to wait. But he probably should know with basketball. I would think even before basketball season starts, because they have their early signing period in November. So basketball will have had a signing period before football has its first one. My guess is he will. He'll probably have a sense by that point of what's going to happen with basketball because he has been playing AAU, correct? Yeah, so he's starting with an AAU team. They're just practicing now. It's like the Rocky Mountain Select team, and he his mom said their first tournament is around July 4th in Oklahoma City. Now, I'm not saying for sure he's going to get an offer off of that. What I would wonder about is, um, and you know, it's who knows how this is going to play out down the road, but like, will he take a mid-major or low mid-major offer to play basketball as opposed to maybe go go take an SEC offer uh, to play football. And, you know, I, again, at this point, I think we're just, it's, it's all, it's all speculative, obviously, but I think this stuff has just, you know, it's kind of blown their minds. Like his mom is like, I can't believe what's happening. You know, it's like, this is just, you know, they borrowed weights from the high school that's in their barn, you know, like right now to get them in shape and uh, they own a barn. <laughs> yeah. There's just, there's just so much crazy stuff. Like, and I would urge you take a look at the story for the pictures alone. Uh, that's what I'm looking at. The collage that you put in uh, him standing next to his teammates in little league is, is unbelievable. Him standing next to his mom. Once you tell me his mom is six feet tall is incredible because she only comes up to his shoulder. I know and she's it, taller than most humans. I said to her, like at the end of this, I was like, Hey, send me whatever photos you have, please. Just of him. Cause you know, we'd like to run it with the story. And so I'm, I turned the story in cause I was waited to talk to her. And then I sent it in, like, we're trying to get our kids to sleep. And all of a sudden it's like, I keep hearing my phone chime. She's sending photos. And I'm like, Oh my God, the, like the photos, one was, one was better than the next. And I was like, I can't believe these. Usually it's like, I'm, you know, I feel like whenever I talk to somebody who I ask to send photos, usually the quality of them is really bad. It's like grainy or it's whatever. And it's like, they usually don't tell a lot. These, because he just dwarfs everybody else. Um, they just blow your mind a little bit. You know, like I, I screenshot the one of him with his, his little league baseball team. <laughs> Where he wrote, he's not a coach. He's not a coach. He's standing, well, he's in the back row with the with the coaches. That's he's, why you had to say He's like that. a half a body bigger than everybody else. And then I had some other person, right, you know, show me their picture of when they were little league, say I was big too. And I'm like, yeah, these other kids are about, were like a little smaller than you. Yeah, this, those, those other like, kids are normal sized. Yeah, it's like having a 20 year old with 10 year olds. Well, my my favorite person in this photo collage is the kid who is bodying him up as he's inbounding in basketball. This kid is probably mm, five five, and he is not. He he is convinced he's going to stop the Leitner shot from happening. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, this is basically like the be equivalent of like, hey, we're going to play a pickup basketball game. And the athletics play in ESPN, and Stu's going to go. I'm going to guard Marcus Spears, and I'm going to like try to get him out of the paint. <laughs> it would be amazing. Well, not now. I want to see that. This is listen. This is pandemic programming. We need to. We need to get on the phone with uh with the folks you know at ESPN. I mean, I, I don't know if you'd be allowed as a Fox employee. Would you be allowed? You know, in that we broadcast, played. But... I don't know if I ever told you this story offline, but 
Uh, a couple of years ago, our crew did West Virginia TCU game was the college game day game. So myself and Bo Garrett, who's our game producer, we went over and visited the game day guys the day before, uh, you know, like all the production people, because we know a bunch of them. And then at some point, Brady Quinn and David Pollock got to talking and Pollock, I guess they play basketball pretty much everywhere or just about everywhere they go. Um, he was like, why don't you guys play with us? So myself, Brady Quinn and Joe Davis was doing playoff baseball. So it was our, uh, the guy who was filling in Aaron Goldsmith. We played against those guys. Um, and Maria played, Pollock played, Gene Wojciechowski played. And then it was, a, I think it was some production people. I think that was the extent of their talent. But uh, it got spirited between 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 Pollock and, and Brady a little bit. Oh, I'm sure. But now Maria was probably torching people too. Maria, by the way, it's like, you know what? Like I give her a ton of credit because she went and like she smoked, spoke to all the women's basketball team at TCU and was like really supportive of everybody. And it's like, you know, like everything she had to do, I felt like, was so many people wanted to talk to her and wanted, you know, pictures, but then she came and played and it's like, well, you played college basketball, you know, it's like, and she's, I don't know, six, two, six, three. Yeah. So, she's pretty tall. So it's like, all right, you, you can't be in the paint for five seconds, Marie. <laughs> you need to get out of here <laughs> or so, but yeah, she's, she is skilled and uh, you know, like she, it's not surprising. She played sec basketball and volleyball, you know, but yeah. like, we had somebody who I think ended up either was a former player in the WNBA who might be on the TCU staff. And that, that woman was really good. And it's just like, I don't know how hard Maria was really trying. I know David was trying, but um, <laughs> was Brady trying? Brady was trying, you know, I don't think Brady like fancies himself as like a great basketball player, but he's competitive, but it was like, you know, you could tell David was really, you know, that was his, his, uh, his thing. Oh, well, I, yeah, I got to get out. I want to get to one of these games. I, I might just commentate on it. You, you've played basketball with me, Bruce. You, you realize that for me, a layup is a 30% shot. So it's, I, I'm there to rebound. I'm, I'm, I'm your Dennis Rodman. I'm your energy guy. I, I'm not going to score for you. I don't know if you're the Dennis Rodman. I just remember you being, you being a big pick setter. And I don't know if that makes you like, I'm trying to remember. Does that make you? It's the only skill in sports that I've ever been good at. You were like an Ed Neely, maybe, or something like that. So I'm Charles Oakley. That's what I am. I'm your Charles Oakley. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember the rebounding as much as I remember just the body banging around. I think the time I remember was me, you, Pete Thamel and Jeremy Fowler, who Jeremy's like six, five. Jeremy is a very good basketball player, yeah, which doesn't surprise you if you look at him. Yeah, Jeremy wasted me uh, quite a few times when uh, when he was on the Florida beat, and we would congregate in whatever apartment complex had the indoor basketball court. And uh, yeah, he he would embarrass me pretty regularly. So him and uh, and our our friend the late Ed Ashoff. I, I, I sorry, I didn't mean to bring it down. It just when you when you mentioned that Jeremy, I was like, oh man, me and Ed and Jeremy used to play all the time. So, but. Yeah, that's it. the the media basketball games. Now we had an athletic college basket or college football coverage basketball game during our meeting in Indianapolis. Neither you nor I went. No, I think I next time we need to. It. it was not. It was not good. I think we could class that one up. I think it's it's one of the few times that we could actually show up and, and make something more athletic. 
at the athletic. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't pretty. I mean, look, I, I played my freshman year of high school. I was kind of a butcher, to be honest. It was like, I, I would finish a game with like skin under my nails. I would use my fouls and that was it. Um, I was about the same size I am now. I can't shoot very well. I was at a 6A school in Florida, so you you had to be very good at basketball to make the team. Now, the the players on the team did joke with us on the football team that they were going to take like five of us linemen and just put us on the roster because uh, Mainland High School was in our district and Vince Carter was Mainland's best player. And so they would just roll us in to foul Vince Carter and, and that would be the end of that. But um, they never they never followed through for some reason. Yeah, I remember like the New York Giants. I'm really hijacking the podcast. New York Giants used this is back in the '80s, mid '80s. Used to go on the road and play. I think they would play. I don't know if they were benefits, but they would play high school basketball teams or football teams in basketball. And they would have a bunch of their players. And what I remembered hearing about, I don't think I saw this, but the when I was a sophomore, the senior, like the best athlete in the school, was a kid, a guy named John Armstrong, who ended up playing linebacker at temple super explosive kid um i say kid in his 50s now but anyway i think john armstrong the story i remember hearing was he tried to instead of he was at the foul line and what he wanted to do was throw it off the backboard and dunk on like harry carson and carl banks <laughs> and he, i'm sure I mean, they were like, not down with that <laughs> yeah i don't i think that might have set off like a little bit of mini brawl um, but like John Armstrong, like I said, he played at Temple. He might have been in some camps in the NFL. Like he was, he was a good football player. He was, a, he was a great athlete. Um, but just the idea of, of NFL players playing against high school guys, like going to a high school, you know, going to a high school town or whatever, it's something you just can't imagine now. Well, if you want to watch it, just watch this clip in your story of this seven foot 300 pound dude crushing eight man football players in in northwest kansas that's that's all you need to do you'll get the idea bruce feldman it has been a pleasure i cannot wait to follow harlan's recruitment now this is going to be fascinating hey he just got an offer from ole miss i'm curious to see how many more offers from power five schools he gets within like the next 36 hours will he board the lane train bruce feldman thank you so much thank you andy that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. When we return on Monday, another state of the program show. Some big programs that we need to examine the states of. This is going to be a really interesting one. You've got Georgia, UCF, and Michigan. So two big Power Five powerhouses. Maybe the best Group of Five program of the last three years. Very interesting questions around each one of these programs, Georgia's got a new offensive coordinator, new quarterback, four new starting offensive linemen. How's that going to work out? Michigan, are they ever going to beat Ohio State? I, I think that's probably the, the question at this point. They're, they're, there are other questions because they're going to have a new quarterback. Uh, they're in the second year of Josh Gaddis's system on offense. It's, they seem to click into it toward the back half of the first year. But the overarching question over Michigan always is can they beat Ohio State I don't know if we can answer that but we're going to ask and then UCF can UCF get back to being the best program in the group of five it was a couple of years in a row last year some really good teams in the American and they didn't quite make it but they have a very good quarterback in Dylan Gabriel and you never know it could be due for another national championship that they're claiming that other people 
might not recognize as much. But fascinating trio of programs, Georgia, UCF, and Michigan. We will examine the states of those programs on Monday. Talk to you then.